Well, this morning, I invite you to stand with me if you're able. Um, we're going to hear the word of the Lord read together. I'm going to read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. It's the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, as we come to it, uh, that you give us hearts uh, that are quick to hear, uh, that, are, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, uh, that we'd be convicted, uh, Lord, that we would be uh, just once again uh, struck by your amazing grace and mercy towards us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would just help us to find ourselves strengthened uh, for our, our journey. May we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing in our study, the book of 1 Peter, and we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And last week, as we began our study of this book, uh, we looked at the first two verses of, of chapter 1, and we saw that the book of 1 Peter was written uh, by the Apostle Peter, who we learn about all throughout the Gospels. And he is likely writing this letter uh, from Rome uh, to the Christians scattered in surrounding areas. Uh, they were uh, forced to leave Rome by the Roman Emperor Claudius, who kind of expelled all the religious minorities who were living in Rome. And Peter writes this letter to those uh, whom he calls elect exiles. Uh, he is writing this letter to Christians uh, who, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, are now strangers to the world that they live in. And he, he writes to both instruct them and to, and to comfort these believers who are experiencing this new life as those who are exiled, who are, who are living as strangers and as pilgrims who are now scattered into foreign lands. And in verses 3 through 9, Peter assures these scattered and grieving Christians that their present suffering does nothing to diminish the reality of the blessings that are theirs in Jesus Christ. And as you consider this passage, you know, unfortunately, all of us in this room today know what it is to suffer. Uh, suffering was not a new concept to those reading Peter's letter for the first time in the first century. Uh, it's not a new concept for us as we read this letter today. Uh, whether we're suffering because ultimately every Christian is a stranger and an alien living in lands uh, that are no longer ours, uh, which means that at times we will suffer simply because of our faith in Jesus Christ and of our commitment to live under his lordship, uh, whether it's that type of suffering or, or other times we'll suffer because we live in a fallen world. 
Uh, We will suffer loss. We will suffer uncertainty. We will suffer physically. We will suffer personally, and we will watch those around us suffer. If you need more evidence that this is true, um, all you have to do is to look at the prayer guide, right? Uh, We put the prayer guide in the bulletin every week, Um, and we can look at that and see that we live in a world where we know both joy and sorrow, uh, rejoicing and suffering. And when we suffer, especially, especially in long seasons of suffering, we often, uh, we'll, we'll often allow the presence of suffering and the experience of suffering uh, to begin to dominate the attention of our hearts. Uh, suffering tends to kind of draw our t- attention towards ourselves. It draws our attention towards our own experience. It causes us to focus on what's happening kind of right here and right now uh, to the extent that we forget uh, to live with eternity in mind. And when the presence and when the experience of suffering becomes our focus, uh, we begin to question. Uh, we begin to question the truths that we believed when we weren't suffering. Uh, truths about God, truths about His goodness, truths about our own salvation. Uh, when the presence and when the experience of suffering becomes our focus, Uh, We begin to search for relief from our suffering, not in eternal things, but in worldly things that are perishable and that are defiled and that are fading. Uh, When the presence and the experience of suffering becomes our focus, uh, we begin to find ourselves robbed of the joy that comes from our salvation. And we do this largely uh, because we struggle to rightly understand the suffering that enters into our lives. Um, And so in our passage today, Peter writes to help his readers, he writes to help us understand the truth about the relationship between their faith, their suffering, and their salvation. And, and since we also struggle to, to grasp this at times, since we struggle to understand the truth about the relationship between our faith and our suffering and our salvation, uh, we need to pay careful attention to the truths we find in our passage today. And so this morning, uh, we're going to walk through this passage together, and then we're going to spend uh, just a few minutes at the end looking at uh, three assurances for suffering Christians that we find in our passage today. And as Peter begins, he starts by reminding us of the blessings of our faith in verses 3 through 5. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 again for us to say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, For Peter, the blessings of our faith begin with our God. Um, That's where he starts. He uh, He begins this verse with an Old Testament blessing for God. Uh, When he says, blessed be the God, um, he in the Old Testament, say, blessed be God, right? Uh, he begins this verse with an Old Testament blessing for God that becomes uniquely a New Testament blessing when he adds that God is to be praised, not just because he's God, but because he is the father of their Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins this conversation about suffering by reminding us of the blessings of our faith that flow from our God. Uh, he tells us that because our God is merciful, he caused us to be born again. Uh, born again out of our spiritual death, out of our enslavement to sin, and born into a living hope. And, and so many of us, uh, so many of us will place our hope in the wrong things. And when they fail, we, well, we just give up on hope. Well, Peter tells us 
that God the Father has caused us to be born again into a living hope, a hope that never fails because it is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. Um, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, where we are of all people most to be pitied. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spends the whole time talking about the resurrection of Christ, uh, what it means for us as Christians. He says that if Jesus was never raised from the dead, that we have no hope. Uh, but that isn't the case. Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so in 1 Corinthians 15 and here in 1 Peter, the message is clear, that if Jesus was raised from the dead, then all of God's promises to us will be kept, including our own resurrection. And so the resurrected Jesus Christ is our living hope, and he secures our living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. And the fact that Peter calls this an inheritance tells us that when God caused us to be born again, something significant happened. Uh, Daniel Doriani, one of the commentators on this passage, he explains it this way. He says, an inheritance is a gift based on a relationship, not a wage for performance. We are born again into a new relationship with our God. And these first five verses are full of language that remind us of Old Testament Israel. A language of exile, language about the sprinkling of blood, the language about uh, a promised inheritance. But this is a greater inheritance than even the promised land of Canaan. Uh, Canaan. Uh, Wayne Grudem explains this change uh, in this way. He says, the contrast is striking. The readers have been born anew, not to obtain a family inheritance in the earthly land of Canaan, but to obtain an inheritance in the eternal city of God. The inheritance is thus their portion in the new creation and all its blessings. If you read the Old Testament, you see the inheritance of Israel destroyed by enemy armies, uh, defiled by Israel's worship of other gods, and faded as the people of Israel returned from exile to a diminished land and to a diminished city and to a diminished temple. You know, Peter tells us that the inheritance that awaits for those who have placed their faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. And the question is, well, how can it be those things, right? Oh, that sounds great. How can it be those things? Well, because it's kept in heaven. It's kept in heaven for us by the power of God, uh, the same power that raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. And Peter tells us that this is the same power that guards us through faith all the way to a salvation that will be revealed to all when Jesus returns. Uh, we are the blessed recipients of a living hope. That's what this passage tells us. We're the blessed recipients of a living hope. Um, we're the recipients of an incredible inheritance kept for us by the power of God who also keeps us, who also guards us as we suffer between now and our future life with our resurrected Lord. And so Peter begins this conversation about suffering by reminding us of the blessings of our faith that flow to us from our merciful and powerful God. And then, in verses 6 through 7, Peter describes the testing of our faith. So I'm going to read verses 6 through 7 again for us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that we, re- we rejoice in the many and lasting blessings of faith that he's just described for us in verses 3 through 5. And yet he acknowledges that we are frequently grieved by many trials. Uh, we have a great reason for, to rejoice, but the Christian life isn't only rejoicing. That's what Peter tells us. Uh, the Bible makes it clear uh, from Genesis 3 until the events that take place in Revelation 21. It makes it clear that we should expect some level of suffering, some level of trials to be a part of our lives. Uh, Job 5.7 uh, says that a man is born to trouble as sure as the sparks fly upwards. Uh, or as um, one of my favorite literary characters, uh, Burley Coulter, he says, uh, we all have to go through enough to kill us. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, a comedic look at the seriousness of suffering. Uh, but we all have to go through enough to kill us. Uh, the, the truth that we read in Scripture, the truth that we know from our own experience, is that we will all experience suffering of various kinds, uh, various degrees in this life. And so Peter tells us that we can rejoice in the knowledge of our salvation kept for us by God, even as we suffer, because our suffering has a purpose. Our suffering has a purpose, and that purpose is the tested genuineness of our faith. Uh, these various trials that enter into our lives include uh, the trial of temptation to sin. It includes the trial of persecution for your faith. It includes the, the, the falling apart of relationships. It includes betrayal. It includes crashing stock markets. It includes failing health. You know, it includes all the numerous hardships and sorrows that accompany life in a fallen world. And uh, Wayne Grudem, again, he explains these verses by saying, Peter thus shows simultaneous grief and joy to be normal in the Christian life. Grief arises because of so many difficulties encountered in this fallen world, but faith looks to unseen reality beyond this present brief existence and rejoices. So what we have here in this passage is Peter telling us that these trials are brief when compared to the blessings of eternity in heaven, and that these trials are opportunities for our faith to be proved genuine. And so again, you read this, you're going, sounds good. How can that be true? Well, God's word assures us that the trials of various kinds that we face are part of God's eternal purpose for us to accomplish a work in us that no amount of pleasure, no amount of prosperity would ever accomplish. You know, as, as we endure trials throughout our lives, we learn to trust that God will take care of us because he's done it before. Uh, we know that he'll do it again, um, and he'll do this until he calls us home. You know, through, through trials, we learn to persevere. We learn to lean into God, trusting that God is at work in us. Uh, for our eternal good, in a way, unfortunately, in a way that pleasure and abundance couldn't teach us. Um, trials and suffering teach us things that pleasure and abundance can't teach us. You know, during the fall, uh, which we're in right now, uh, all across America, you'll see football players, and you'll see coaches, and you'll even some, uh, see some of the fans uh, kind of holding four fingers up, right? Third quarter ends, everybody's holding four fingers up, as the fourth quarter begins. And, and they do this because all of the off-season workouts and all of the conditioning and all of the planning is done with the goal of finishing the fourth quarter strong. Peter, Peter is telling us in these verses that the trials that we endure are working in us a faith that perseveres all the way to the end. And he tells us that this tested faith, proven genuine through the fires of trials, is worth more than gold, which will one day perish with this world. And this, this persevering faith will result in praise, it'll result in glory, it'll result in honor to God, who called us, uh, who caused us to be reborn, and who guarded us all the way home. 
all the way to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter begins the conversation about suffering by reminding us of the blessings of our faith that flow to us from our merciful and powerful God. Uh, he tells us of the certainty that our faith will be tested in verses 6 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 9, he reminds us of the outcome of our faith. He reminds us of the outcome of our faith. Let me read those verses again for us. They say, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so in this passage, uh, Peter has mentioned faith uh, through which we are guarded by God. He's mentioned the testing our faith and, and the incalculable worth of a faith that's proven genuine. And here he describes the faith of these scattered Christians. He says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, that's filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In spite of their suffering, in spite of the fact uh, that they haven't personally seen Jesus, they love him. Uh, they believe in him. Um, they're showing their faith to be genuine. And the outcome of their faith is salvation. They rejoice in their living hope. They rejoice in the salvation of their souls through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in verses 3 through 9 of this chapter, Peter tells uh, these scattered, these grieving Christians that their present suffering does nothing to diminish the reality of the blessings that are theirs in Jesus Christ. And we need to hear. Uh, we need to hear this. We need to believe these words today. Uh, because when we suffer, especially when we suffer kind of these long seasons of suffering, uh, we often allow the presence of suffering, uh, we allow the experience of suffering uh, to begin to dominate the attention of our hearts. Um, it causes us to focus on what's happening right here, right now, uh, to the extent that we forget and we neglect to live with eternity in view. Uh, and in these verses, Peter reminds us of the blessings of our faith, uh, the purpose of the testing of our faith. He points us to the outcome of our faith. Um, and before we go this morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes looking at uh, three assurances for suffering Christians uh, that we find in Peter's words today. So we're going to look at that together. The first assurance for suffering Christians uh, that we find in Peter's words today is this. Uh, Peter assures us that our suffering has an eternal purpose. So the first assurance for suffering Christians that we find in Peter's words today is this. Uh, Peter assures us that our suffering has an eternal purpose. Uh, when we are in the heat of trials, when we're in the heat of suffering, it's easy to forget that God is at work in our lives for our eternal good. Uh, when we're in the heat of trials and suffering, it's easy to stop believing that God is at work in our lives for our eternal good. Uh, Peter tells us that these trials have not made their way into our lives because of God's negligence or from a lack of care about us. Uh, Peter tells us that we can rejoice in the knowledge of our salvation kept for us by God, even as we suffer, because our suffering has a purpose. And that purpose is the tested genuineness of our faith. Uh, Peter tells us that these trials are brief uh, when compared to the blessings of eternity in heaven. He tells us that these trials are not the result of discipline, but they are opportunities for our faith to be proven genuine that will be revealed when Jesus returns. And I'm going to read another quote from uh, Wayne Grudem's commentary this week. He says, by the phrase, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Peter is referring to the judgment on the last day, when the secrets of all hearts are revealed. 
He thus reminds Christians that God's purposes and present grief may not be fully known in a week, in a year, or even in this lifetime. Indeed, some of God's purposes will not even be known when believers die and go to be with the Lord. Some will only be discovered at the day of judgment, when the Lord reveals the secrets of all hearts and commends with special honor those who trusted Him in hardship, even though they could not see the reason for it. They trusted Him simply because He was their God, and they knew Him to be worthy of trust. It is in times when the reason for hardship cannot be seen that trust in God alone seems to become most pure and precious in His sight. I just thought that was a great quote. Uh, knowing, knowing that our trials have a purpose uh, doesn't make them less painful. Uh, that's not what we're saying this morning. Uh, but it does help us to bear up, right? It helps us to bear up under the pain as we wait for the Lord's deliverance. And so the first assurance uh, for suffering Christians that we find in Peter's words today is that Peter assures us that our suffering has an eternal purpose. It has an eternal purpose. The second assurance for suffering Christians that we find in Peter's words today is this. Uh, Peter assures us that our God is guarding us even when the suffering continues. So the second assurance for suffering Christians that we find in Peter's words today is that Peter assures us that our our God is guarding us even when the suffering continues. And so in these verses, uh, Peter assures us of the truth Uh, that we are the blessed recipients of a living hope, Uh, that we are the recipients of an incredible inheritance uh, that is imperishable, that's undefiled, uh, that is unfading, that is kept for us by the power of God who also keeps us and who also guards us even as we suffer between now and our future life with Him. Uh, When we're suffering, uh, it's tempting to feel abandoned by our God. Uh, When we're suffering, it's easy to respond with anger or with despair. Uh, When suffering kind of just bursts into your life, uh, well, you know, in those moments, we want to know, where is our God? You know, he said he'd be guarding us. Where's he at? Um, You know, we want to know, well, if he's not guarding us to keep out suffering, uh, then what's he guarding us from, right? (laughs) Seems like a legitimate question. Well, in verse 5, Peter tells us that God is guarding us for salvation. Uh, he's guarding our souls in the midst of our suffering. And I, <laughs> I really enjoyed Wayne Grudem's commentary this week. So last quote from Wayne Grudem, I think. Uh, Wayne Grudem says this about it. He says, this last phrase makes it difficult, if not impossible, to see any end to God's guarding activity. If God's guarding has as its purpose the preservation of believers until they receive their full heavenly salvation, then it is safe to conclude that God will accomplish that purpose and they will in fact attain that final salvation. Ultimately, their attainment of final salvation depends on God's power. Nevertheless, God's power continually works through their faith. Do they wish to know whether God is guarding them? If they continue to trust God through Christ, God is working and guarding them and should be thanked. So he tells us that God is guarding our souls. That God is guarding our souls as we face suffering, as we face trials, until we receive our full heavenly salvation. Um, I'm going to read something else. This is uh, the first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, Some of y'all are familiar with this. um, Question one is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of, the he of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Um, so that's the first question from the Heidelberg Catechism, again, talking about the same idea. You know, as long as we are living as exiles and as pilgrims in a broken world, uh, we will know suffering. Uh, we'll know uh, trials, and we'll also know joy and comfort, right? We know both. Um, in this passage, Peter tells us that our hope is secure, that our hope is secure even as we suffer, because the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead... Um, and secured our hope. It's the same power that's at work guarding us, guarding our souls. And so the second assurance uh, for suffering Christians that we find in Peter's words today is that Peter assures us that our God is guarding us even when the suffering continues. And then the third assurance for suffering Christians that we find in Peter's words today is this. Uh, Peter assures us that the outcome of our faith is worth suffering for. Uh, Peter assures us that the outcome of our faith is worth suffering for. When we suffer, especially in these long seasons of suffering, we often allow the presence of suffering and the experience of suffering to dominate the attention of our hearts. Um, it causes us to focus on kind of just right, what's right in front of us, the right here, right now. It causes us to forget to live with eternity in mind. And when the presence and experience of suffering becomes our focus, we begin to question the truths that we believed when we were not suffering. Uh, we question truths about God, about His goodness, about our salvation. Uh, when the presence and experience of suffering uh, becomes our focus, we begin to search for relief from our suffering, uh, not in the eternal things, but in worldly things that are perishable, that are defiled, that are fading. Uh, when the pre presence and experience of suffering becomes our focus, we begin to find ourselves robbed of joy that should come from our salvation. And so in this passage, Peter assures us that the outcome of our faith, that our salvation is worth suffering for. You know, one of the challenges of writing a sermon on these verses is that one, it's just one long sentence, and two, every word of the passage is just kind of rich with meaning. Uh, these verses are a celebration. Uh, they're a celebration of the work of our merciful God and the salvation that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we have a living hope, a hope that won't fail. We have an inheritance uh, that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, that's kept for us by God, who also keeps us to ensure that we receive it. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verses six, 16 through 18, uh, we hear from Paul uh, words that support and strengthen what Peter is saying here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, the Bible, you know, the Bible is honest about the presence and the difficulty of suffering in this life. Um, and it's equally honest when it tells us that we have a salvation, uh, that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ, worth rejoicing in, even as we suffer, even as we grieve for a little while. 
so that we can join in and say with Paul, uh, you know, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Uh, this morning, as we go to this passage, we find uh, Peter celebrating uh, the truth of, sal- of salvation, um, this, uh, salvation that is worth suffering for. 